thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only it tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences to your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your 14-day free trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 413. Today, AC and I are going to talk about Microsoft taking down some hackers and a whole bunch of other cloud news, recorded live, what are we now? June the 10th, 2021. AC, good morning. Welcome back, my dried-out friend. (laughs) Yeah, I, I need... Major rehydration. <laughs> I had a friend of mine who who does crazy long bike rides. Post on Facebook the other day. He did a I think a four hundred mile bike ride, and yeah, it took a long time. And um, when he got home, he ordered a mobile IV to come to his house with a nurse and hook him up. So he's got so no he had. Kidding. Yeah. So he was not feeling that great after the ride and you just can't hydrate enough apparently. You can't pro- you, you just can't process that amount of fluids required and so he had a, a nurse come over and hook him up to an IV to rehydrate him but also like all these sort of essential ingredients that you're missing after after an mm-hmm. endeavor like that. So um, I was like maybe when I come back from Utah could I just like you know get a couple of liters mainlined <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet yeah. <laughs> it's funny it's i'm listening to a book right now i'm re-listening to it it's like the third time I've, I've listened to it but there's a guy david goggins who's a navy seal and it's got a book called can't hurt me but it's like a it's a really good like motivation push through it quit your bitch and kind of a type of a book yeah and it's been really good for me i like it when i like start struggling i get in a rut when with going out for a run because it does a good job of just like going, oh my God, listen to what this guy did. And then you go through it. And he was talking about doing a couple different races. And one of the ones he just talked about is like a, it's an ultra marathon, 100 miles running through Death Valley in the heat of the sun. Oh yeah, I've heard and, of that one. Yeah, and it's just like, like, the st- like they, they literally run on the white stripe on the road because it's not 200 degrees yeah. at, on the blacktop. I've heard they also have to have cars that stop and give them fresh shoes because the soles of their shoes melt. Uh, it's that. And it's also like they the cars are also cooling stations. Like when he went and drove it, he had two cars that were leapfrogging each other every, I thought I heard him say a third of a mile, but that seems way too short. Mm. I know it's really hot out there, but a third of a mile is like running for like three minutes, two, three, four minutes, depending on your pace. Right. Two being really fast. But even if it's five minutes, that just, that seems incredibly tight but regardless you know you're still doing they're still leapfrogging so you get in the car to rehydrate and to cool down and then to go out back running again Hmm. i mean at some point you're listening to it and it's just like that really can't be good for your body that can't be i get that people do it but i'm like there's got to be something that's just like going yeah this just isn't a good idea you know if you're having to cool down that often why don't you just run somewhere cooler well you could tell me the same thing i'm struggling like crazy right now running in florida when it's like you know, it's like 85 degrees before the sun even comes up. And wow. Yeah. It's, man, it, the humidity is just. That's brutal. It is brutal right now. A four mile run, I've got to go take, I've now decided I got to take two water bottles with me because I'm just having a hard time staying hydrated. Yeah. But yeah, well, it is, I must say it is nice to be back, uh, back home, of course, but also where it's not quite so, like the environment's trying to kill you <laughs> constantly. It's nice. But uh, it was a good trip. Really fun trip. Cool. Highly cool. recommend it for anybody to go see some of the national parks in Utah. It's amazing. Cool. Yeah. What else is going on in your world? I'm back in the saddle, but uh, what's happening at your end? Man, I'm just, uh, yep, working hard with work stuff, working hard with volunteer stuff that I've kind of overcommitted myself. And of course, both of those hit at the same time. And then one, not for good measure, throw in a 12-year-old's birthday tomorrow as well. So I'm uh-huh. trying to... 
yeah, we're getting our kitchen redone and all of our appliances are supposed to show up tomorrow and it's her birthday and she's going to the beach. And so I'm just like, okay, so wife is taking the kids to the beach. Thankfully, my son's a lifeguard. So like your job is to go with them to help mom keep an eye on seven or eight on the group, 12 year olds. And now granted, they're all like, they're all on the same swim team. So I'm like, they're probably going to be fine. But yeah, Steven, yeah. you need to go out there with them to help. Mom so wrangle. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm like praying to find that all the appliances get installed and delivered tomorrow morning so that I can head out with gotcha. and get out there and maybe try and take them for like, we have a couple stand up paddle boards and try and take those out there and take some of the girls out to on the ocean and just kind of go back and forth nice. and stuff to, they want to do it. But busy. Definitely not bored. Excellent. Well, that's good. That's yeah. the main thing, isn't it? We've exactly. got a couple of weeks of school here left before the kids are off for summer break. So we've got some adventures coming up and things. I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. Very cool. With all of that said, shall we dive in to the show and kick things off with uh, our segment on what's new in Microsoft 365? Let's do it. I've got a boatload of message center updates. We skipped last week. Well, it's supposed to be a bi-weekly yep. uh, thing anyway. So yep. we skipped last week because we were doing our build recap. So let me dive into it. Uh, I'm going to do these kind of quick. First one is Message Center 257470. And this is around an architecture value change. And effectively, what they're doing is they're changing values in the, the Microsoft Defender for endpoints, where they're changing the architectures from 32-bit and 64-bit. They're renaming them to be, it was just x32 and x34. Now it's x32-bit and x64-bit. So they're adding in a dash bit as part of the string. Huh. Why? I, it doesn't, <laughs> I, whatever. Just because somebody at Microsoft needs to justify their busyness. Maybe. How bizarre. Yeah. So the next one is Message Center 258428. This is Office for the Web is retiring file share embed. So the file share embed dialogue for Office for Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and Visio on July the 1st is going to start, is going to be retired. So when you are on the home or the, what is it called, the backstage in the Office clients, where you can say like new, open, save as, info, uh, yeah, print. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the options is share, and one of those share options is embed, and it's going to go bye-bye. Huh. Message Center 258632, Microsoft has added two direct routing endpoints in Japan. Hmm. 259845, Teams meeting invite recipient limits from Outlook. So get this. They say that they're making some changes to the number the, to limit the number of individual recipients that are allowed for scheduling a Teams meeting from Outlook. Yep. This only applies to the Windows 32 client this time. They're going to apply this limit to meetings created with more than 750 recipients in the invite. If I am ever invited to a meeting with 750 recipients, I'm done. <laughs> it's probably more like an all hands at a at a company, right? That's large. Can you imagine? Like, is anything going to get? That's not a meeting. That's a presentation. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't get anything done in that meeting. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear me? Message center. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Reply all. I'm going to be late. <laughs> me too. Plus one. Take me off this list. How did I get on this list? You heard of Bedlam, right? At, Bedlam, the what happens in a large company when people hit reply all? Oh, the reply all storms. Yeah. So the, there was a funny story about reply all storms at Microsoft. Many years ago, there was a thing that got called Bedlam because uh, there was a distribution list, I think, that was called Bedlam or there was some distribution list that got created with basically the entire company on it. And uh, somebody sent a test email to it and then just all hell broke loose because everybody's replying all going, how did I get on this distribution list? This is terrible. Take me off it. And then people would be like, plus one, plus one, me too, me too. And then there'd be like people replying all going, please stop replying all. <laughs> <laughs> it originally, like, I think it was back in Exchange, I want to say like Exchange 6-ish era, somewhere like that, that this happened. And it brought down the company's mail servers internally. There was so much traffic fly flying around. I think that the story goes that's what brought on single instancing of message storage and exchange was mm. taking down all the Microsoft, internal Microsoft email servers during the Bedlam crisis. And the exchange team were like, this is ridiculous. We're sending, like, when, when you send one email to a thousand people, we're creating a thousand copies of that email <laughs> and putting it in everybody's inbox. <laughs> And so then it's just a, you know, it's an N squared problem, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And so they, I think that's what, what led to single instancing of messages. 
At least that's what I heard. It turns into the thundering herd. Yeah. The last one I've got for us is a message center 259921. Microsoft is retiring the feature Office Presentation Service from the Windows version of PowerPoint. They're going to remove it from the Present Online menu option under the Slideshow ribbon in PowerPoint for Windows. Instead, the recommendation, we recommend the utilization of Present Live in PowerPoint under the web client, which we're going to continue to invest. When is that going to happen? It's going to start happening as early as June and roll forward from there. So cards on the table. I have message center updates this week, but they're all like edge kind of... Small bits and pieces. Yeah, meh kind of stuff. Yeah, gotcha. So Fair enough. That's it. Hey, I found a bug in Azure Functions. They acknowledged it and they're fixing it. So that's always kind of fun. Dun, dun, Oh, I thought you were going to say they acknowledged it and then said they weren't going to fix it. (laughs) Nope, they're fixing it and the fix is rolling out. It should be out within, I see by now, it's probably in the next 20 days. So it's, um, if you were using one of the Linux hosts for your Azure Functions, when you did a swap of the deployment slots, it would stick for about 10 minutes and then it would automatically Go back. Yeah, I remember you talking about this. Yeah, so I posted it, and they're like, "And it was that simple." I. It was funny because, like, I said it was a problem, and they're. I said, "I'm seeing this. Is there anything to this?" And someone's like, "I'm seeing it too." And Microsoft came back, and they're like, "Nope, we can't replicate this." And then, like, about two days later, the same guy that said that goes, "We've identified a bug, and we're actually fixing it." I'm like, but you couldn't replicate it, so yeah. you were actually getting ready to dismiss it. And he goes, "Yeah, we rolled out a fix, so it's gonna. It should hit in the next 45 days, which was about 20 days ago. So it's." I mean, it's cool to see. I mean, granted, it was in preview, but I was going to roll something out. And I was like, I'd rather be using Linux host than Windows host. So yeah. I'll just uh, I'll just wait. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Now you can say you've fixed yeah. it. How on earth could they have missed that? Like, that seems like everybody would be hitting that. Or a lot of people. Yeah, and I don't understand, like, what, why it would roll back. Because that would seem like an action that you would have to take, not something that's just, mm. not like a, a bug, like going, oh, it rolled it back. Like, did you have like a timer to say roll back? And if it didn't, if you didn't cancel the time, it was probably something like, you know, when you go to do the new deployment, it, it works, but there's some step at the end missing saying, you know, sort of commit the transaction, right? And then eventually yeah. it goes, oh, we should roll it back because it didn't work. Something like that. Yeah, maybe. I'm guessing it's something like that. It's odd. Yeah. It's odd. But That's I mean, weird. regardless, they've identified it and they acknowledged it and they have, they're fixing it. Nice. I wouldn't call it fixed until it rolls out. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, exactly. Awesome. That's all the stuff that's new in Microsoft 365 this past week. There's some other new stuff coming. We should talk about that in the news, though. So how about we have a quick break and get back into some uh, more new stuff? This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle, from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams, and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. Back to the show. All right, AC, we've got some Microsoft news, I guess, this week across 365 and Azure. Some interesting goodies in here. Would you like to lead us off or uh, got something in mind you burning to... Burning to go tell our uh, audience about? I'll lead us off. I'm not sure I'm, I'm burning to tell our audience about this, but Azure has something coming up called the Azure Hybrid and Multi-Cloud Digital Event <sighs> yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. to be on June the 29th. Are they we back in are... this like, mini-event mode again? Yeah, it seems like. Everybody's got these little mini-events. We just had build. And it's like, yeah. why didn't you do this? Why didn't you call this out then? So... There's three reasons, or was it a handful of reasons why they say that you should join this event. Uh, number one, you'll be one of the first to hear major Azure Arc announcements. Why didn't you do that at Bill? Should have done it They're going to learn, learn how Azure customers are using hybrid and multi-cloud solutions. Should have done it at Bill. Should have done it at Bill. <laughs> They're going to see Azure hybrid and multi-cloud solutions in action. Should have done it at Bill. Should have done it at Bill. You're going to discover how to be more productive and agile with hybrid cloud solutions. Should have done it at Bill. Should have done it at Bill. And 
if you have questions, you can get answers to your hybrid questions. Mm. I would have wanted to do that at build. At build. <laughs> but hey, this whole you can do that. Microsoft goes through these periods, right, of event contraction and event expansion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this never would have happened with Julia White at Microsoft. She was a proponent of event contraction into you know, three events a year, basically. Customers, partners, and developers. And then now look what's happened. I don't know if it's actually her leaving that's taken the cap off this, but you know, but we're now going into a period of event expansion. And so every group will see little events like this and be like, oh yeah, I need an event to talk about the removal of the presenter feature from PowerPoint, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll get all these little onesie twosie things. And we just had one for uh, Cosmos DB as well, like right, like a month before build. Right. And it's, so we go through event contraction and then event expansion. So what you're saying is, is that Microsoft marketing has event elasticity. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's like a... Uh, Multi-cloud? I was going to say it's something like a, a virtual machine scale set. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but, you know, we're at on-demand scales, but except there's not, not that much demand. <laughs> mm. it, yes. I ranted about that with the build stuff as well. I was like... Argh. Yeah. Fair enough. I wonder if other companies are doing that. Like, I wonder if, like, I don't see Apple doing that. Which, multiple events? Yeah, like lots of these little events. I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't noticed Google does that. Have you? No. Or AWS? No, I haven't. But what underlying this, what it says to me is that the teams that are doing these don't feel that they're getting what they want out of the big events, like Ignite and Build. And so they're having to go do their own thing. Mm. That's what it reeks of to me, that they don't feel like they're getting enough airtime or they're not getting enough depth of sessions or whatever from those events. And that sort of matches to what we've been saying about the events have been more puffery and fluff. Watered down. Watered down, yeah, exactly, and less depth. And so maybe Mm. my take would be these groups want more depth. Their customers are asking for it. And so they need to put on their own things to go get the depth content out there. I don't know. It's a, it's a theory. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about events. I know we're going off on a bit on a tangent, but like this week is the first in-person. I shouldn't say it's the first in-person because I'm sure somebody else, quote, beat them to it. But this is one of the first in-person, I guess you call it major conferences going on this week. There's an event down in Orlando and it's what used to be known as the SharePoint conference that's now kind of morphed into the Microsoft 365 collab conference that has been going on for a couple of years in, in Las Vegas. And they're doing one in Orlando. And from the I've heard from different people who are there, but it it appears from the pictures that I've seen and from what they've said, it looks like there's about a hundred ish people that are there. And it's it's interesting. Like it's like the community people, like you know, the friends that you would normally see at the conference, they're all posting the same pictures. I'm just like, it looks like there's about like six people there when there's usually like the same six people that are there. Yeah. So I'm really curious how this is going. I'm hearing it's a mix of like live and, and virtual. And it's a very so it's very different based on how the number of people that are there and the number of people that are online and feels early to me yeah. that companies would be willing to send their com- their employees to these events just yet. Totally. But yeah, that event, I didn't even realize that it was the continuation of what was previously called the SharePoint conference, right? I'm looking at it and going, it's really not, right? It might mm-hmm. be run by the same external company, but it's not the same event. I've seen nothing in terms of marketing from Microsoft about the event. Like yeah. nothing. I mean, in previous years, it's been at least a little bit of something. In the last few years, it's been a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be a Microsoft-run event when I worked on it years ago. Mm-hmm. And then it got outsourced, essentially. Like, eventually it got rebooted, and but it run by a third party. And mm-hmm. even then, it didn't feel right, to me at least. But I'm a oh, stick in the mud for that stuff. And then now it feels like just another, any other random event. Yeah, the big like name change was supposed to be announced at their... Las Vegas instance of it in May of 2020. But then that never happened because of the pandemic. Mm. So then it just kind of morphed into a virtual event one time last summer and then, or one time last year. And then they did another virtual event like late in the fall. And now apparently they've got, so they have two in-person events this year, one in Orlando in, in June that's going on right now, or by the time you guys hear this last week. And then they have another one that's going to go on in Las Vegas in December. Gotcha. 
Maybe that one will so. be uh, promoted a little more. Like I literally saw nothing in my inbox about it or online. I didn't even really know what was going on until uh, I saw a couple of photos from from friends that uh, that went. I was like, huh, okay. Third party conference yeah. seems a bit early. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's part of it, and that's I was waiting to just kind of I want to see how it went. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not saying we're you know. In person conferences are over and stuff like that. I'm no, just, no. I'm just curious to see how these things are are attended as they start to come out. So doesn't seem that well. It'll be this one doesn't, but I mean, I'm, I, you would expect that with always the first one, yeah, or one of the first ones. At least in our business, in the Microsoft 365 business, this is the first one that I've seen. There's a couple of virtual ones I've seen. Like I know the European collaboration, no, the European SharePoint. What's it called? Not the collaboration conference, but the other one, the European ESPC. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. That one is virtual, I think, this week as well. But I know that like the European collaboration one, they're doing one in person later this year in like a, a month or two or three. So hey, maybe it's just yeah, first out of the gates, it's gonna be small. People have got to get used to going to them again. Or not. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, so what you got for us this week? I have a continuation of some news or yeah, story we've been talking about over the last few shows, which is about the hackers that hacked the Colonial Pipeline mm-hmm. and bought, you know, that brought the east coast of the United States to a standstill, literally, by running out of gas, petrol. Mm-hmm. The story this week has come out that Microsoft has helped the Feds recover some of that ransom money that got paid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go into a lot of detail, but in summary, what happened was Darkside hacked the Colonial Pipeline with a bunch of ransomware, stopped the whole thing, had to recover. The way they recovered was to pay the ransom. And then what happened was the FBI went and helped take Darkseid down, right? And one of the things they did was essentially hack the hackers, I think, is what happened, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and recover a whole bunch of the stolen money Mm -hmm. that was paid. And apparently Microsoft's Threat Intelligence Center, right there, one of their like their security response center and things like that, helped the feds do this. And now the article doesn't say how they did it. Or, of course but, not. <laughs> but you know they're not going to reveal those details. But you know Microsoft has its fingers in a lot of pies, and all it would require, for example, now this is a complete, complete hypothesis, but imagine if one of the hackers used, you know, an email account or something like that that was on Microsoft's infrastructure somewhere, or they could intercept, you know, a password recovery email somehow and use that to reset one of the hackers' passwords or something and get into one of their accounts in a system somewhere or, you know, I really don't know what it was, but you could, there's a whole bunch of avenues Microsoft could have helped in this regard. But anyway, the long and the short of it is they managed to get back about 2 million of the stolen funds so far by working with, uh, working with Microsoft. So kind of interesting the saga continues of you know this colonial colonial pipeline hack. This I listened to a new one of those Sunday morning news shows the other day about talking a little bit about like like cyber attacks and is the United States going to go more on the offense and all that kind of stuff. And as somebody who's just you know we understand and I'm sure our listeners all of our listeners do as well because you're just of that mindset. We understand the concept of how this stuff works, you know, what ransomware is, what that means, what the whole concept is that's going on. Encrypted your network, I'll give you a key once you pay me. Yeah. Like kidnapping. And, but to hear like some of these senators like talk about it, it was just, I had to turn it off. It was like, you guys don't even, you don't even know what, you can't even describe exactly what you're saying. I understand what you're trying to say, yeah. but you're is so wrong that it's like they attacked us with ransoms. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what they want. Yeah. But that's not, that. <laughs> they didn't attack us with ransoms. <laughs> If I mean, attack me seen, all the time. You want to attack me with you want to attack me with ransoms? Bring it on! <laughs> My door's right here. I'll throw a ransom at you. Yeah. If you haven't, if our listeners haven't heard this, do yourselves a favor and go on YouTube and look up series of tubes that the internet is a series of tubes by Ted Stevens, and that that for me was the first enlightening glimpse into a senator trying to talk about technology in the United States mm-hmm. and just how. Mm-hmm. Utterly comical it was. John Stewart from The Daily Show did a piece on it, and it is just diabolically funny about the internet being a series of tubes. That's right up there with the senator who was saying, we get all this stuff on our phone during the middle of a hearing on C-SPAN. And he's like, pulled, hold his phone up, 
held it up for the camera and he's like, and he went through and he typed in his passcode while he was showing everybody. And he's like, look at all the stuff I have access to. And some of the senators like, you might want to change your passcode. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, hilarious. It's just like, there was a, not a senator, I think, but some sort of conspiracy theorist. Might have been somebody in government actually, who's, you know, who's spouting some conspiracy theories, who was doing some sort of video online or something like that off their phone. And then mm -hmm. went to go show you some, you know, dark things happening on the internet on their screen. And they're, and they're, they're shooting the, you know, the, the screen of their laptop. And at the bottom of their laptop is like a sticker stuck to the screen, which has got their username and password on it. <laughs> you just can't. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Oh. stupid. Oh, classic. Like, that just absolutely blew my mind. Like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> So silly senators and people on the internet. Never mind. So yeah, okay. That was more on the Colonial Pipeline and Microsoft helping the FBI get to the bottom of it. What else is new, AC? I've got four new features Ooh. for you can to build richer apps for Microsoft Teams meetings. I have to wonder, like, if... I don't know. I should, so one of the things they can do is you have an extensibility option for creating more engaging and inclusive scenes for together mode for Microsoft Teams. The idea here is you can create your own pictures and say where the people get placed. And the first picture they have in the blog post about it is it looks like a cartoony space planet that they're on and people are coming up out of this planet with someone in a spaceship. It doesn't seem to me like a good way to make more efficient meetings. It seems like distractions. Yeah, yeah. There's that. You basically go in, you put like little... I guess it's cool for classrooms, maybe? Classrooms? For kids? I mean, maybe, but doesn't that make it more distracting? Like when you see all this stuff around? This cartoon, I'm looking at the picture you're describing and it's got these sort of five people's heads and shoulders sticking up out of these holes on like that look like craters on a planet. And all I want to do is get a stick and whack them, like whack a mole. Yeah, that's what it seems like, right? Yeah. I don't know. So Interesting. there's that one. One of the other features is real-time collaboration with apps and meetings with a shared meeting stage. This is kind of cool. Because it allows you to kind of have like a almost like a Kanban board where there's no video that's shared, there's no screen that's shared, but where that normal area will go is where you guys can all collaborate. You can also build meeting aware apps with a new event and different media APIs. So when certain things happen during a meeting, it can fire off an event that you can then have something react to in your meeting where you're showing something like in a sidebar or flight polling or whatever. Also, easier app discovery and acquisition for in-meeting apps. That's basically it. These are things that were all kind of highlighted at Build or demoed at Build, but stuff that we didn't talk about in our update, so I thought I would shot here. Gotcha. Hey, I think we're going to need to start a new segment on the show called WTF Were You Thinking? <laughs> because <laughs> hmm. my next one that I've got here is just... I'm so confused by this. So Microsoft have are releasing a new service for Microsoft 365 called Scheduler. It's a new Microsoft 365 service that makes scheduling meetings even easier and faster, right? All sounds grand and dandy so far, right? What Scheduler does is basically you can talk to Cortana, like, type to Cortana or add her into email threads and things like that to say, hey, we need to set up a meeting at 4 p.m., you know, three weeks from now in Pacific time and make it a Teams meeting. And it'll help you schedule schedule the meeting, right? This has been a service, I think it was like calendar, calendar.ms or calendar.me or something like that. Mm. I've used it for a while. It was kind of interesting. So, okay, still so far so good, right? You're thinking, okay, well, maybe I don't want to type it in, but it'll definitely help me arrange meetings and all that sort of stuff. Everybody needs that. That's pretty useful. It integrates with your Office 365 calendar. You can do it. It works with people inside your organization, outside your organization, saves on the back and forth. You know, the standard calendaring services that help you organize meetings with people. Still mm -hmm. with me? Mm -hmm. All good? What would you say if I told you that it would cost your organization $10 per user per month. I was waiting to see if you were going to go and share that part because that's the part that I'm like, this is insane. Absolutely smoking crack. <laughs> Best quote, the number two comment on the post, pricing is insane. This will go nowhere. Yeah. Which, I mean, I see the same thing. I mean, it's like, isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the bulk of this already out of the box in Outlook? 
Like if I use the Outlook web client and I go to add a meeting with someone, it suggests here are the times when you can meet. Yeah, but this works outside your organization too, right? And it'll, it's actually like a whole, it's not crazy stupid technology, right? It will, no, it will but converse for with the month? other person and work out on your behalf, like an assistant would, work out a time that works with other people, right? So it'll give them options. They can say Tuesday at five works for me. It's not completely, at least I don't think it's completely daft from a purpose point of view. I think it's completely daft from a 10 bucks a month per user. Are you absolutely insane? Yeah. That's on top of your E3 or E5 or A5 or business basic, business standard, business premium, E1, A2, E3, E4. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's on top of whatever license you already have, 10 bucks a user per month. Total insanity. Here's the thing that I don't get. When you look at the pricing, you have to compare it to all the other pricing things that are there. So like I spend, I think it's like $5 a month for each one of my parents to get their own email address yeah. on our account. They don't need all the M365 stuff. They yeah. just need a mailbox. They just and need so E1, basically. Have, yeah, or whatever. There's there's actually a license that's just like, I just need Outlook and gotcha. that's it. And for five bucks a month, and then if they wanted to go through and have any kind of a scheduling with it, they're going to spend... 100%, actually, was it 150% of that? They're going to jack, they want to jack their costs up to $15 a month. So yeah. I have an email, I have an email address and I have a calendar, but you're going to pay twice that just to have somebody help you with scheduling. It's like that to me, it doesn't, the scale doesn't make sense. Like a dollar or two, okay. But yeah. 10? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy talk. That's surprising. I feel the same. So I feel the same. To give you a, Comparison, Microsoft 365 business standard, kind of a small business type SKU, is $12.50 per month, right, per mm -hmm. user. Mm -hmm. And you get all your email, collab, Teams, OneDrive storage, and all of the Office applications across all of your devices mm -hmm. for $12.50 a month. And you're going to get meeting scheduling for another 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. What are they thinking? Not to mention this competition in the space from all sorts of other providers, right? Yeah. That help with this sort of stuff. So very, very odd, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, I have another one for you. That to me, this seems a little dated or a little bit like they're trying to catch up and it, it seems a little late to the game. Um, this is also Microsoft 365. What they're doing is they're bringing Visio to Microsoft 365. At least that's the title of the blog post or diagramming for everyone. But really what they're doing is they're bringing a slimmed down version of Visio. They're making, they have a web client version of it and they're making it available in Microsoft 365 to where you can now create Visio diagrams. Then you can embed them in, directly inside of Teams conversations or Word or Excel or something like that. And like years ago, I stopped, I used to love Visio when I had to do any kind of like modeling or drawing or you know, diagramming and stuff. But I stopped using it years ago for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm on a Mac and it doesn't work on a Mac. But second of all, because it seems so siloed that it wasn't, people had to be paying for something to be able to end up use your Visio diagrams. So I went and found, and I saw a friend of mine post something on, on Facebook the other day. And he's like, so what's the, you know, Visio's got like no updates in the last 20 years. What is everybody using? And I started using an open source thing called draw.io, yeah. but it's also known as diagrams.net. They started switching their domain over from draw.io because they were having problems with the .io domain. Yeah. Or some people were using it, so they've added a second domain to it. And it's 100% primarily web client. There is a downloadable client you can install and you can use it, but you save your drawings straight to GitHub, OneDrive, Google Drive, Dropbox, I mean, every place that you want it, save them as an XML file, save them as an SVG, 100% free. And it's like, you can embed them. I'm like, man, Visio just doesn't, it's like people have passed this by. I mean, they're not, so many have already just passed by and said, I'm not really interested in doing this anymore. And Microsoft doesn't keep up with like the icons and yeah. the stuff yeah. that other partners do. Whereas like, you use a third-party service and you've got, I have all the Azure icons. I have all the AWS icons. I don't use them, but... All the icons from all these different things that represent these different products, they're already there because it's open source. When something's not there, someone jumps in and adds it. You're not waiting for somebody else to do it. So yeah. I looked at this when it came out. Someone said, well, this change your mind about it. I'm like, no, because this is going to do the exact same thing that the free draw.io uses, and that still does more. Yeah. So it just feels like they're late to the game. Yeah, it feels like Visio is kind of one of those things that Microsoft used to have such a lead in this, right? And they make 
so much money from Vizio. I mean, Vizio is a huge business. Just by itself is mm -hmm. a huge business. It's like Project, right? Project's a massive business. But it's almost like the innovator's dilemma, right? They've, or it probably is the innovator's dilemma. They've, they started off on such a hiss and a roar, but then nothing's really changed over the last 10 years. And uh, they're kind of stuck wondering what to do. You know, they've got the legacy of their, or they've got the history and the legacy bogging them down and can't reinvent themselves to keep pace with mm -hmm. what's going on. It's almost like they know too much. Like, you're making so much money yeah. on it, so yeah. we don't need to do anything for it and watch the competition. <clears throat> but then the competition does stuff, and it's like, you've got these dedicated followers, but you don't look at what you can do to improve yep. what's there. Yep. And, and sometimes you can't. Next thing you know... Because you're yeah. freaking out about pissing all your existing customers off, too. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. One last thing here on Azure, Microsoft's ongoing commitment towards sustainable living, I suppose you want to call it, they are saying that their data centers will run on a sustainable backup power by 2030. So in the next nine years, obviously all these data centers run off an electrical grid, but they have their own mm -hmm. backup power systems on-prem, so to speak. And usually those are all like diesel, big, massive, big diesel generators, you know, the size of semis that are all parked outside and, mm -hmm. uh, and turn on when they need backup power to keep the thing running. But Microsoft have recently come out this month and said 2030 is the line in the sand and they are going to eliminate their dependence on diesel fuel for backup power. Yeah, so that'll mean that all these data centers run on, they say, more carbon-friendly sources, right? So it doesn't mean like zero emission sources. I mean, how mm -hmm. could, I guess, yeah, they'd have, to, they'd have to build enormous wind farms or solar farms or hydro or something to do that but that they're lowering their, you know, this is part of that lowering their carbon footprint. They're going to be, as a company, they want to get to carbon negative, I think by 2035 or something. I can't remember the exact date they said. Yeah. Yeah. So we covered it, we covered it a couple of weeks or months ago. I remember, I remember that discussion, that announcement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, they're saying that by 2025, they will have, they'll be procuring 100% of their power supply from renewable sources for their data centers. For something that generates or that, that consumes so much energy. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Uh, it's impressive. You know, whether you, you know, wherever you sit on this issue, this can't be a bad thing. That's exactly, what, that's exactly how I see it. Whether you take steps in your own life or not, or you think it's all hocus pocus or not, it doesn't really matter, right? This can't be a bad thing, right? It's, mm -hmm. there are, polluting less. And I think everybody agrees pollution's not great. So uh, I think it's great. I think that's awesome that they're leading in this space. And I hope other large companies do it too. Like it's it's nice to see them taking the taking the stance on this. And especially in a industry or in a space that is so power hungry, um, yeah. so energy hungry, yeah. that's what's impressive about it. So it's like, it's cool to see it's happening there because if they can do it, then what, and what, innovations they can come up with or what lessons they can learn and where can that be applied yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Like, could you apply, like in manufacturing or in factories that also are energy hungry, so it, could you apply the similar techniques to those areas as well? And, and I assume, but it may be falsely, that over the long haul, renewable is going to be less expensive than non-renewable energy. Right. Especially when you factor in all the costs of like, you know, cleanup and stuff like that with like the pollution. But even if you take that out of it, it would think that if you're, you know, getting power from wind or from sun, then it just seems like it's more, it's going to be cheaper than having to keep digging something up out of the ground yeah. to burn or whatever to be able to, and then transmit the power that it would just seem like it's a cheaper thing long, over the long haul. So not to mention that, I mean, this might sound a little controversial for some people listening, but eventually there are going to be new laws that get tighter and tighter on polluters, right? And Microsoft making the moves in this area, not early, but now, is going to pay dividends for them in the long term. They're not going to be caught on the back foot having to suddenly rush around trying to figure out how to pollute less or be a better environmental citizen of the world, mm -hmm. you know, in 10 years' time from now when it gets a lot tougher on companies. So I think it's a great move. Glad to see them yeah. stepping in this direction. Like you said, it doesn't matter where you sit on it. I can't see how this is seen as a negative thing. So good on them for doing it. Yeah, fair, fair. I've got one that is kind of out of left field here. This is an interesting move. And I don't know if the article is they're reading too much into this, but Microsoft has said that 
they are going to launch dedicated Xbox cloud gaming hardware. So the, the idea behind this is that they're working, they've said that they're soon going to announce this. And what it's going to be is for you to do like game streaming straight with existing devices, kind of like what Google's been doing with or trying to do with Stadia. But the idea is that, I guess Amazon's doing it with Luna as well. But the idea is, is that instead of having dedicated hardware for gaming, it's going to be done more in the cloud. And you're going to be streaming that more to your, say, your TV. Maybe it's a device, maybe it's like a, a Fire Stick, or maybe it's like a, a Chromecast that you plug into your TV. And you can play your games using the TV, using your internet connection, but all the hardcore like work that's being done is all being done in the cloud. It's an interesting concept. I mean, there's other things, there's other places that are trying to do this as well. And Microsoft is pushing this pretty hard, you know, with things like Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, being able to subscribers can pay for up to 100 console games for things on Amazon, or sorry, on Android that are all streamed from Azure. But they're saying now that, you know, Microsoft hasn't, what's interesting about this is that Microsoft didn't say anything about the fact that they're not doing away with dedicated hardware. They say they're already working on the next generation of its consoles, but don't expect a new console anytime soon. And I kind of take a step back from this going, can you really do this with something that is so hardware intense, like graphic intense and all that work that's got to be done that you can really stream this and have a great experience with still, you know, fast reaction and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm skeptical. I'm more, I'm curious, like going, you can actually do that and that's reliable? This makes sense, right? In some respects, but maybe it's a bit early. Like we've gone from having computers on-prem to computers in the cloud to do the actual grunt work, right? To do all of the hard, heavy lifting. And so for gaming, it's kind of like, well, I don't want to do a hardware refresh every five to seven years or whatever for my gaming console. That seems pretty wasteful. So why wouldn't I just do all Mm -hmm. of that heavy lifting in the cloud? So long as, yeah, so long as the experience is good, then I'm all for having one less box under my TV. But do you remember like back in the 90s, I think it was the 90s, there was a thing called, yeah, it was like 96 there was a thing that Sun Microsystems were going on about with the Java station. Have you heard of those? Yes, I do remember that. And it was like a network computer, which was like a thin mm-hmm. a thin client, right, that would sit on the desk. It would be like this little thin box that would run Java front-end stuff and would but would essentially connect to a whole bunch of things behind the scenes. Like we're coming full circle back to 1995 again, right? We're going, mm, yeah. cool, now you're just going to have this thin device sitting in your living room that's going to connect to the power of the cloud. And um, it's just kind of comical. Like if you've been in IT for a while and you remember these things, they, I mean, they didn't, they didn't land that well at the time. <laughs> but you can see it yeah. coming full circle back to all of that again. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and the, some of the stuff that the way that they're pitching this, I mean, I don't want to say I'm skeptical on it because I don't think that's the right way to say it. But it, part of me is just kind of like you're looking at it going, I guess skeptical might be the right word. It's in the interview that Microsoft gave with TechCrunch, they were saying that they want to expand the Xbox, the overall Xbox ecosystem, even if that means selling fewer dedicated consoles. And then they try to draw an analogy with this is what the music industry has done using cloud power services backed by all you can eat subscription models. I'm like, yeah, but there's one thing that's different about this. And there's one thing that's different about what you just talked about too. And that's the reaction time. Yeah. If I'm doing, if I'm playing like a, like, if I'm playing Madden or if I'm playing some shoot like some first person shooter like Call of Duty or if I'm doing a racing game the one thing that destroys your experience is lag and I don't mean just lag in terms of the performance of you know when you're doing a multiplayer game but I mean like the lag of like the quality of the of the stream coming to me yeah it's the same thing with VR that I don't really get today where the thing with VR is like all these things oh check this out and I'm like it looks like a bunch of Nintendo Wii emojis that are all or avatars mm. that are all in a room that are talking to each other. I'm like, going back 10 years isn't an appealing technology to me to just say, hey, look, I can do this with a headset on now. Like, yeah, that, maybe I'm just sitting on my porch and complaining at the cloud, my 45 year old body. But still, it just it just it seems weird to me. It doesn't seem like it's like it might be just like I know that that all the players are putting effort into the space. Yeah. The future is obviously going in this direction at some point. And so I can see why they're investing in it. Maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I guess we'll see. When I fire up Forza today, 
and it takes 30 to 40 seconds for the race to start while it's loading, while it's loading the track, I have a hard time believing that it's going to get a better experience being in the cloud. And I don't mean to say that it's not, but I have a hard time understanding, like, if it's all right here in front of me and it's taking 30 seconds to get going, and now it's going to be faster in the cloud and it's going to stream, like... Yeah, but, okay, so, okay, playing the opposite side of this coin, right? It will be much faster than it loading 30, 40 seconds because all of that compute and all of that data loading, that's what's taking the time. It's not taking the time to send the image to your screen. Right, So all of that heavy lifting can be done in the cloud, and then really all you're getting down over the internet is you know, a two-dimensional rendering. It's like, it's like modern, modern PC games, for example. You need like crazy high-end video cards to run them. It's not because the image is complicated on your screen. It's because of all the compute that goes into building that scene and then rendering it to a 2D image to stick on your screen, right? If all of that can yeah. be done somewhere else, then the stream of that 2D image is still pretty... Thin in comparison, but I. Yeah. But for me, the lag, like input lag, when you push a button to when the thing happens, going up to the cloud and back, that seems like the troublesome spot. This is my fear when I'm seeing this whole thing. You watch F1. I'm sure you watched Monaco. Yeah. The whole thing when we're watching a pass happen, and right when the pass is happening, the TV director switches off to show you a replay of something else. Like, what happened? We totally missed the pass. Where were we? Yeah. To me, it feels like this. It just, I'm looking at this going, I feel like I'm going to see the same thing. Like, I'm going to go into a turn. There's going to be like a bit of a, a pause. And then I'm going to be, next thing I know, like going into a turn, here we go. I'm hitting the apex. Next thing I know, I'm actually into the wall and there are my, my wheels are off the car. Like, what happened? Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. There was a, a bit of a hiccup in your internet connection. Yeah, I remember playing. Counter-Strike from New Zealand over a, like a dial-up connection years and years and years and years and years ago. And if you grew up in New Zealand, you know what a low-ping bastard is, right? A low-ping bastard is somebody who lives in the United States who's on a, who's on a low millisecond ping number versus my close to half a second ping from New Zealand at the time. And you'd die before you'd even come around the edge of a corner, right? And... <laughs> You know, it was it was infuriating, but you're going to have the same thing. And you'd be swearing at the cloud going, you low big bastard, you know? And it, you wonder if that same stuff's going to happen again with this. I was in college, I remember playing that. I remember actually looking, we were looking for people in Australia and New Zealand to actually go play because you guys were yeah. the best clans to play against. I know, just like... <laughs> you're so easy. So easy because we couldn't see you coming. <laughs> no. It's so true, it's a real thing. You can see us coming, it's just like... But by the time you were seeing us coming, we were on to the next game. <laughs> yeah, you'd be you'd be about to about to come around a corner, and suddenly you'd be dead before you went around the corner. Be crazy. It'd be like complaining here in June that you know I won the election. It's like anyway. So, <laughs> uh, you went there. You went there. I did. I won't go farther. Hey, should we um, should we wrap up this news and get on to some picks? Let's get on to some picks. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, AC, what do you got for us this week? I found this the other day. I found the show, like, people were talking about it for a while, and then I finally got into it. I was like, this is really well done. It's called The Expanse. It's on Amazon Prime. Have you seen this? I have not watched the show, but I've heard about the show. So it's something I'd like to watch. It's very good. It's very sci-fi, but it's very good. It's very well done. Star Trek-ish kind of a thing. But it's really cool because there's a lot of like well-thought-out futuristic tech that's in there. And mm. one of the things that they did, this that the site did, is this guy uh, or this this company called Huds and Gooeys, they took the entire Expanse UI and they looked at their design and they broke things down like here's how they do holographic displays and here's how they do mobile devices and mm. here's how they do touch screens and here's how they do like different miscellaneous things in as well. It's pretty cool to see the standards and they're kind of like showing like, you know, here's one ship and then here's how another ship does it. And here's how another ship does it. It's really cool. It's really cool and very well thought out. And as somebody who's, uh, I always get petrified trying to build, we were talking about before the show, trying to build my dashboards for like my um, home automation stuff and my key, for my kiosks. It's really cool. Yeah. So I thought this was, I, it was fun just go through and look at different examples of how they did this stuff. So it's pretty cool. This website is awesome. Mm-hmm. com. That's cool. And it breaks down like all these different TV shows like Mandalorian season two, mm-hmm. Ken, I Am Mother, all of that. And it 
goes through their various computer UIs and interfaces and things. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty cool site. A cool it is site. a pretty cool site. Nice. How about um, you? What you got for us? It is now clear to me why Jeff Bezos was forced to stand down as CEO. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is again one of my crazy wild theories and complete and utter guesswork. But Jeff Bezos has decided he's going to space on July the twentieth as part of the first launch of the New Shepard with crew on July 20th. So him and his brother as well, Mm -hmm. and one other passenger. And the the other passenger is, I think, whoever wins the the lottery or the the, the bidding contest. I think it's actually, I think it's like an auction for charity or something. Anyway, uh, so he's going up on July the 20th. The current bid for that third seat stands at 2.8 million, I think it is. Something like Mm. that. Somebody's going to be paying quite a bit of money for that. Uh, They're not going into orbit because they, as Elon would say, they can't get it up. But they are going to... Did you see that tweet? Where he told... Where he replied to Bezos and said, what, can't get it up? (laughs) It was quite funny. Talk about a a male-oriented rocket competition, (laughs) you know, tweet storm. 2.8 million it currently stands at. Anyway, yeah, so they're going up. Now it makes sense, right? I'm thinking Amazon's board of directors and insurers and all of that would never have agreed to this, right? Mm-hmm. And letting him go up while he was CEO of Amazon, one of the, like if not the world's largest company, pretty close to it. And so if it were me, I'd be like, cool, peace out. I'm going to space. See you later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes a whole lot more sense I don't need to, to do now. this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. He steps down from CEO, and it's like we'd like to get your input on some stuff. He's like, "Oh, but I'm not CEO," and like that's okay. We still want to get your input on stuff. So yeah, right. It's not like, not right. like things are really going to change all that much. No, exactly, exactly. So uh, I think this is pretty awesome. Like, I think it's really good of him to be paving the way from a crew perspective, and you know, putting his body where his money is. I don't know if that's the right saying, but you know what I mean. Ponying up and getting in. So all I've got to say is, Elon, if you're listening to this. Giddy up. <laughs> it says a lot when, like, to go through, like, would you put yourself in there? Oh, yeah, this this is totally safe. It's totally safe. Okay, would you put yourself in there? Oh, hell no, no, no. We have a test, we have a test driver that's going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, good on them. I think that's really cool. I, I'm glad to see it's, uh, you know, whether you like them as both Elon and him as humans or not, I think um, doing this sort of stuff is good for us and pushing the boundaries. So, uh yeah, you know, I hope to go into orbit one day, and I'm sort of jealous he's getting a shot at it. Not orbit, but, you know, microgravity for a while at least. Yeah, I love the experience. Yeah, although, you know, love taking your brother, you know, you think you want a backup sibling for any parents that are surviving. So, like, maybe he's got some other siblings. This is another uh, potentially uh, expendable one, you know, in case something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's got the ability to send like a last second text. Like, sorry, mom. Yeah. Oops. It doesn't go well. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I guess it's a little less dangerous than coming back from orbit, right? Because you're, um, you know, you're not burning up on re-entry. But nevertheless, it's not a risk-free endeavor. No, 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 no. No, it's definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. But yeah, it's cool. It, it, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. And man, talk about getting the attention, getting people to watch what's going on. So it definitely helped. Yeah, exactly. All right, AC. Well, thanks for another great week. Great to be back in the saddle from home and um, catching up. Yeah, man. Good to see you again. And I will see everybody else next week. Sounds good. See ya. Later. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.